Hi, I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, here to let you know about a new and innovative theater major, the BA in Theater and Business Arts at the University of Providence. Get the education and experience you need as a theater artist and the business acumen to succeed in your career. Visit broadwaybullet.com and stay tuned to the end of the program for more info. Now, enjoy the show. Center. It sounds very huge and elevated, and that's what it feels like. Like once you're working there, because rent is about much more than just friendship, love, and musical theater. It was about something that shook musical theater. People are becoming more and more comfortable with, you know, issues of people being different. I mean, we do it all. I mean, you know, we don't we don't back away from anything. Welcome to Broadway Bullet, Volume 217. I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, and we continue with our special exclusive nymph coverage, Part 3. We've got a lot of shows where you're going to hear interviews and songs from the productions. We've got Twilight in Manchego, Road to Ruin, College the Musical, and Prospect Theatre Company's 10th Anniversary Concert, the dance piece Wild About Harry, and the family musical Max and the Truffle Pig. Got a lot of great stuff. Remember, if you want to find out more about any of these shows that we're talking about, you can go to nymf.org. That's where you can also go to get your tickets and uh, your group packages and whatnot and find out more information about the shows. Also, you can go to our show notes page at broadwaybullet.com for Volume 217 to find links to everything about the shows we got going on. And if you've been new listening and you know wondering why these shows are so long, I just want to remind everybody that if you are listening to the enhanced version from iTunes... It's actually chaptered. You can move back and forth. You know, if you hit the fast forward and rewind button on your iPod, it'll move to the next segment, move to the previous segment, so you can listen again and get more details closely. And it'll just jump. You don't have to wade through a two-hour file. Just thought I'd remind you if you're new to the program because of all the nymph stuff. In any case, it's probably about time that we jump right on into the program because we got a lot to cover. So here we go. On the boards. A teacher in a small town has to face a tragic event and deal with the events of his past. That is the subject of the music, new musical Twilight in Manchengo, which is at Nymph this year. And we have the writer, Matt Gould, here, along with one of the actresses, Natalie Belcone. Hello. Hi. Hi. <laughs> There's the voice. <laughs> There's the voice. Your cast. <laughs> Trying to be all sexy there? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> a little milk chocolatey goodness never hurt anyone. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so what is Twilight in Manchego about besides my brief intro there? Well, it's it's Twilight in Manchego. Manchego. Like, that's okay. okay, we like that. It's like the cheese. And uh, it's like you said, it's about a teacher who is living in the big city and a tragic event makes him run away. He moves to a small town to teach fourth grade. And uh, basically the show takes place at an elementary school over the course of a day uh, when another tragic event happens. Mm -hmm. A lot of tragedy. Right. Um, Nothing happens tragically to Natalie's character, though. She's funny. (laughs) And she's low. But uh, Esau, the teacher, realizes that you can't escape your past. You have to make peace with it and face your ghosts. And that's how we move on. So what was kind of the inspiration for writing this? 
I understand there's a little bit of kind of semi-autobiographical <laughs> background here. Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, you didn't want to face your past. Right? I didn't want to face my past, damn it. <laughs> yeah, I was teaching fourth grade, and I broke up with a boy, and he was that was a wreck. And It was actually me. I was, was the boy. She was. No, I'm not anymore. I wish you were. <laughs> You're so hot. I wish I could like women. That's a damn fine piece of work if you were a boy before. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Thank you. Uh, Yeah, so, you know, boys and tragedy, and I was in the Peace Corps in West Africa, and that destroyed me, and so I needed to put that all into a show somehow, and this is kind of what came out. And uh, Natalie Anderson, this is your second time now with the show? My second, except I don't know this part yet. Well, it's all new to me. The, ch- the show has changed, um, apparently, quite a bit mm-hmm. since the last time I did it. So I'm still waiting to see it, read it, and hear it. And it's coming, honey. Yeah. It's thank really you. good, though. <laughs> it's really good. So what drew you to this show, working on this show? Well, Matt, quite frankly, I was working on another piece, and I met Matt um, through it, through somebody um, that was actually in the cast. Another boy. Another boy. And um, <laughs> I don't know. I just kind of liked his vibe. And then you asked someone to get a hold of somebody that I knew and asked me. I don't think he was expecting me to say yes, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. Asked me if, I was, um, if I'd be willing to do the, the reading. And I said, yeah, hell to the yeah. Hell to and the yeah. that's how I'm here. And right? she's amazing. She's amazing. <laughs> Thank you. Natalie's a huge Broadway star. Thank she was you. in, um, what the hell were you in? The Looney Bin for a bit. <laughs> and then um, Avenue Q, which is what most people know me from. That's great. Gary Coleman. I, nice. Um, <laughs> were you in Avenue Q about a year, year and a half ago? No, it was okay. the original cast. You're the original cast? Oh, yeah, okay, yes. The, the dinosaur cast. <laughs> right? Um, and then I just uh, closed... Well, not just, but in January, the Lincoln Centerpiece for Aaron's and Flaherty, the glorious ones. And so I did that. Uh, yes, you, you're, right, you're great in that, yes. Did you see me? Yes, I did. You saw me, didn't you? <laughs> Were you showing that much cleavage in the glorious honey, ones? Honey, Show more. Honey, honey. <laughs> honey. It was all about me and my milk makers. <laughs> yeah. Well, before we continue, um, let's take a listen to one of the demos from the show here. Uh, do you want to set up this first song we're going to play? Sure. This is Same Old Story, which um, Natalie thought she was going to sing in this show. Which <laughs> You see? I'm finding out things new. Like, we're what? hugging each other right now. <laughs> um, she met, we're, we have other new songs, honey. Okay. We have other new songs. I'm going to let you sing, girl. Don't you worry. So this is Same Old Story. It happens very late in the show when uh, the t- teacher, Esau, is sitting with his best friend at school, that's that's Natalie's character, Beth, and because uh, you know the gay men have to have the close girl, black girlfriend, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's like that's just how it is. Playwriting one on one, right? <laughs> um, and he's just—they're like sort of—he's kind of at the end of his rope, and he's like, "I can't g- get away." And this song is just him kind of expressing and trying to convince her that you're you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. Don't try to make me freaking feel better, bitch. All right. No problem. Same old story. (laughs) Okay, let's take a listen. Why does the teacher who came to escape from the city and all of the noise scream out and shout that we need to do more to ensure that the future he left here employs 
wide as a boy with a vision for greatness who might just have lived to amaze. One who had passion and saw something more, be struck down for not looking both ways. It's the same old story every hour. The same need for more, the same greed and power. And when I'm convinced, now at last I've arrived, I can see it. I'm staring straight at the sun. And the one I can't run from is me. Why does a man who's in love with a man sit and watch while the man drowns in gin? How can we ever assume we've done more when the sins of the four keep on ambling in? Why does a town go and shut itself down and then claim that it's bringing more jobs? Why back a business that just doesn't care when we're damned well aware we're the ones that it robs? It's the same old story. From Gary Coleman to where you didn't show cleavage to uh, glorious <laughs> ones where it was all about it the cleavage. All there. Done a lot of big shows. <laughs> what do you like about working with the the smaller you know shows in development? That's that's a different energy from the other. Um, show? Well, the 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 breaking apart. The no, this doesn't work. Oh, let's try this. Um, I s have a little bit of say somehow, some way, um, and it's nice to see it start. You know, before it's actually a full-grown tree, it's nice. Yeah. <laughs> and for from you, Matt, what has been the most frustrating part about developing the musical? There's always something in there that's. Yeah, I think that when you're close to material, it's hard to take a step back and learn how to know what needs to be fixed and changed. And that I, I would say that's been frustrating. This time around, I'm working with some dramaturgs and a an amazing director, Billy Porter, who has just has a great eye and a great mind for this. And he's really helped me to break it down so that the show is finally 
moving forward instead of me just rearranging things and not really making progress. We're we're doing some really good storytelling. Isn't that awful when you're writing a show and you think you're you're just tr- you're trying to work on it just to work on it and you really aren't making it better. The, you're just or worse rewriting. <laughs> you're making it worse is what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> and I've done a lot of making it worse. And this time, I just I know that this is a big step forward for us, and I'm really excited about that. Good, I can't wait to see it. Yeah. You're not going to see it. You're going to be in it. <laughs> it's going to be all about me, actually. It is. It is. <laughs> all right. So let's take a listen to the second demo that you brought in from the show. Do you want to set the song up? Or? Well, this is uh, the song Twilight in Manchego, which is kind of a recurring theme through the show. Uh, this is actually a demo of a slightly older version, but it will just give you a good feel, I think, for the tone of the piece. And it's the community of Manchego coming together and uh, singing about change. All right, let's take a listen. Sun's almost up. Feed the goats. I want to stop at Starbucks. Let's move it. Leo, leave the goats. I'll be right in. I'm waiting for the sunrise. CBM off. I love you. I'll be late. The PTA. Shower, please. Muffin. Here, Muffin. Oh, there she is. Yes, you keep those little lammies in line. Good girl. I don't feel like going today, Mom. I want to play in the field. I think I'm sick, Dad. I better take the day off. I'm off, my dear. Please be safe and call when you get home. I love you. Oh, there it is. Twilight in Manchego. Always comes and gets its way. Sun comes up, it's orange and it's gray. And we start a brand new day. Twilight brings the So, a piece of advice from each of you to aspiring people. What, from what you've learned in your career, what would be like one nugget of advice you'd give to people aspiring <laughs> to be in your place? I'm still aspiring to be in your place. I love it that he asked the two of us. <laughs> Wrong! 
fun. <laughs> Meet a hot guy early on with a lot of money. <laughs> and then do whatever the hell you want. <laughs> oh, my gosh. The one piece of advice. Teach me that. Teach me that. <laughs> oh, my gosh. The one piece of advice that I would have for young and upcoming Hmm. I would say, even though it's not, it doesn't seem like it at the time, I would say to live wherever, wherever exactly it is you are at the time, because it is how many years later for me? I graduated in 1991, and when I stopped to think about all the stuff that I've done, I wasn't really appreciating it. And now that I think back, the people that I came across and had a chance or I was blessed enough to work with, there were some incredible people. And I didn't take the chance to just sit there and breathe and and let it all soak in. I was so concerned with, oh, what's my next thing? And God, is this good enough? And blah, 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 and driving myself insane. It really, I wasn't there. I wasn't there in it. And I kind of regret that. I kind of regret it. Um, yeah, so I would say definitely wait, just... Wait, is this a Barbara Walters moment? Did I just, did I just make you cry? <laughs> but I would say definitely whatever it is, no matter how small you think it is, because you never know, um, you never know what it would end up turning into, or even those relationships. So just you know, take your time and, and live there. Just enjoy it. I agree. I agree with Natalie. I think that every day that whenever I get frustrated about this show, and I get crazy a lot, when I, I mean, this bitch is sitting next to me right now, <laughs> and she's letting me call her a bitch, <laughs> and she's like a star. She's a star. Like not only are you a star, but you're now we're gonna get the love fest. But she's, in the, I mean, the voice, the talent is disgusting, and Chuck Cooper is a Tony winner. He's doing this show, and Billy Porter's. I mean, these people believe in this, and like. It's not where I want it to be yet. It's not all that I want it to be yet. But, like, I'm celebrating, man. I'm freaking celebrating. Because <laughs> this is amazing. Good. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so what dates is the show running in the festival? September 25th through October 4th. And you can check out our website, twilightinmanchego.com or nymph.org. And what theater are you guys at? ATA, the Chernuchin Theater, which is on 54th in between 8th and 9th. Okay, that's a new one for the festival. I haven't been to that theater yet. It's where you're in town was was off Broadway. All right. Yeah. So Matt Gould and Natalie Belcone, I thank you so much for coming down thank and chatting you. about the show, thank and you. I wish you the best of luck with the run, and may it may it go further. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Okay. <laughs> On the boards. If a high school girl chews gum, is she going to end up a pro walking the streets selling her <laughs> wares? Yes. The exploitation films of As the twenties. <laughs> <laughs> had many movies dealing with this type of thing, and a show at Nymph kind of explores one topic of uh, kind of the exploitation movies. The show is called Road to Ruin, and we have the book music lyric writer Willem, William Zephyro here with us, as well as actress Anne Morrison to talk with us about the show and let us hear some of the music. How are you doing? Great. Great. All right, so <laughs> I kind of said a little bit, but first off, tell us a little bit what is The Road to Ruin about, which might 
take a little explanation of exploitation films. A lot of X's there. Well, I think the interesting <laughs> thing is that these movies were not mainstream Hollywood. They were made by bottom feeders. They were made by people on the fringes of the business. They were done low budget, often with people that were barely actors. Um, the lady that played Sally Canfield in the movie, mm-hmm. that's our leading character, her other biggest credit is she had, I think, one line in Around the World in 80 Days in 1956. Wow. These were not I'm big. I'm impressed. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so they were, and they were made on the cheap, and they were never shown at the Bijou or Lowe's Theater in town. They, these little production companies dragged these films around the country. They would pitch a tent, for example, outside of Parsippany, New Jersey, maybe. And for three days, they would be there with the tent, and all the good little people of the town would troop out to the tent. They'd see the movie. In the case of The Road to Ruin, they would get a lecture on sex delinquency. And then they'd get a little booklet they could take home so they could watch their kid and figure out if they were a sex delinquent. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So how do you turn that into a musical? Easy. (laughs) Well, the thing that got me going was I found in an antique shop in Spring Lake, New Jersey, the booklet for The Road to Ruin, the one that they distributed at the movies. Right. And that night when I was reading it in the, uh, in the bed and breakfast, my wife heard me laughing hysterically. She said, what, what are you laughing at? And I said to Lynn, I said, this is absolutely the funniest thing I've ever read in my life. <laughs> and it was the overheated prose of, oh, if only little Sally had known what was going to happen to her. Right. And I said, this is a musical. This sings and dances to me, which tells you something about me. And <laughs> <laughs> that was how But that's did. another program. Yeah. <laughs> and so that was, that was the impetus. That was, uh, to me, the, the, I think the thing was, first of all, the hypocrisy of it, of the fact that supposedly they're condemning something when really they're just there to sell TNA. That's what they're doing. They're selling pretty young girls f- frolicking in their 90s, supposedly under the guise of moral instruction. And that just grabbed me as an idea for a musical. Are we going to be in 90s, too? Hopefully. Great. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Anne, you've had uh, a distinguished career. Uh, Denny, you said your Broadway debut was Merrily We Roll Along. Right, yeah, in 1981. last year you were great in... uh, Love Music. Love Music, yeah. Mm -hmm. And a lot of stuff in between there. Lots of stuff in between. And then I went off and did my own exploration of things that I wanted to do. I developed a company, actually two companies now, uh, that works with musical theater as a healing modality in a way for persons with developmental disabilities. So that's persons with Down syndrome, cerebral palsy, profound mental disabilities, brain injuries. Um, And um, uh, my own healing work, which deals with emotional release work, and and then just do, writing my own one people shows, you know, because I'm fascinated about Celtic mythology and, and storytelling. So I have a couple of those I'm trying to get out on the road too. So yeah, on top of all that, there's all these other little funny little things I like to get involved <laughs> with. <laughs> and now I'm a, a writer for um, um, a new puppetry theater we're trying to get started here in New York called the Storytellers Theater of Wonderment. So yeah, so keep busy. So what attracted you to the road to ruin? Sex delinquency. So that was one of your things Gum. in the in-between, yes. right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I used to instruct it, you know, how to become, no, uh, no. Um, B- Bill actually approached me. We became great buds, and he yeah. asked me to come and do a reading 
a couple couple years yeah, ago, wasn't it? Four right? years four ago. Four years ago. Four years ago. That and was I, how we met. Right. And I played a character called Madame Flo, um, which was a prostitute, which you really don't meet till the very closer to the end of the show. And she has this great number. a trend. Right. But that's not what I'm doing in this this round. This round I'm playing the mother, Sally's mother, which is also a very, very funny role. But that's not how he originally conned me. No, I originally conned her into doing the madam. Yeah. Right, gave me a stick of gum and away I went, you know. <laughs> um, so, but it was—it's just been a lot of fun. So when they, when they got a chance to do this at Nymph, they said, "Would you please come up and do this?" But um, how about doing mom instead of the a prostitute? And I said, "Well, I'll, sure, I'd love to clean up my act a little bit." <laughs> 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 no, it's been great fun. All right. Well, before we continue, maybe we should take a listen to uh, the song you sing on the demo okay. that you brought with you. Yep. You want to set this, which song I will up? not be singing when you see it, but. <laughs> This is at the end, near the end of the show, Sally is finally being dragged into prostitution. And this is when she is brought to the brothel, and <laughs> Madame Flora comes out and explains to her how this is a career where she, all of her financial worries will go away forever. And I think that's about all you need to know. And um, the, uh, the title of the song is actually Flora's Philosophy. All right, let's take a listen. Yesterday my life was sunny How funny this change Made a play for love and romance Blew my chance How strange I've gone and lost it all I'm headed for a fall What am I doing? Sorry story is mine to tell I was a lady Now my past is shady I dreamed of glory But down I fell Oh, 
So it's clear that we're selling a very heavy show. Yeah, oh, very, very heavy. It's hilarious. It's very light and fun. We crack up in rehearsal so hard. So what has been the process of getting the show on its feet? I and mean, how long has the show been in development for you? The idea came to me 10 years ago. And for a couple of years, I would play with it. And I think I hadn't written a musical before. I thought, I, I don't really know if I can write a musical. And I thought, well, maybe I could write the book, but somebody else should write the music. And then I thought, what if I don't like the music? I thought, oh, I guess I better write the music, too. <laughs> and then I thought, what if I don't like the lyrics? <laughs> I thought, I guess I better. I'm not a control freak. No, not no. at all. <laughs> so in June of 2002, I sat down at my desk and I said, I'm going to get as far as I can. Mm -hmm. And here we are. And here we are. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we got another song here from the demo uh, that we can take a listen to. Do you want to set this next one up? Yes. At the end of the first act, little Sally has been dragged into a strip poker game um, by uh, by the by the character Madame Flora's daughter. Basically, is the one that is trying to procure Sally and get her um, on the road to ruin. And um, part of that is that she gets her enticed by this guy named Buster Custer, and she goes and she plays strip poker. And now she has been arrested, and she is sitting in the stench of the juvenile detention center, contemplating her fate. And this is where this song comes. And this one's called The Road, Road to, to Ruin. Ruin. All right. Years ago, Granny taught me her fiscal philosophy. You can learn it, too, if you listen, sis. Just remember this. You can always earn a buck on your back. That's been the way since the world began. If you want to eat, just get off your feet. You can turn your luck if you got the knack. And what's the diff if the market's a bust? When times are rough, every man's still a man. If they're feeling glum, they still want to come to a lady that they know they can trust. What we're doing is just like Flo Nightingale. I'm a Profits stay in the black Cause there's never an installment plan Whether day or night You can travel light Working in the buff There's nothing to pack And you can always earn a buck on your back You can always earn a buck on your back That's been the way since the world began If it's no you need This is guaranteed You can always turn a buck in the sack Madam Flora, that's a name you can trust. Lord knows I don't want mom and pop to find out I'm in a fix. So long for 
tricks Just stick with me and you'll never be flat Now Candy Act, you're no Puritan With your merchandise, we can name a prize And you'll thank us when you're old, gray, and fat Cause you learn the truth, you can sell your youth For customers you never will lack You're a layaway from a big payday You can always earn a buck Can I just wash dishes or something? On your back! I've been doing my job well since 1905 All this screwing Keeps the gal alert and alive If you're riled up and ready to blow Come around and see Madam Flo I'm a little old but my hands are gold When things are hard you don't want to quack Cause this lady knows how to work a hose If you're tuckered out, I can shine your spout For an extra tip, I can use the whip Come to Flora, and you'll always I noticed that you, you know, brought your daughter along with you here for the interview. She's listening here on headphones. Is, is this so you can keep an eye on her so she doesn't become a sex delinquent? Well, believe me. <laughs> well, she, I'll tell you right now, she did not accept the gum that I offered her. So this is a good sign. <laughs> she didn't accept the gum, and um, I have told Alexandra ever since she was two that she's allowed to start dating when she's 23. Right. right. I'm not sure how that's going to play out. But, uh. <laughs> I think that's when I started. No, yeah, 23? Right, right, I'm sure it was. So, Anne, I'm mm-hmm. always interested, you know, because I know we have a lot of aspiring actors that listen to the program as well. And, and whenever we get somebody who's had, you know, from early we roll along to now, you've managed to work in this business for a long time and keep working. And um, I'm kind of curious to get what advice that you might pass along to people who are working and trying to get into this business. Or are already maybe just started working and are getting a little frustrated. Oh, it's frustrating. It's still frustrating. I'm 52 years old, and it's still frustrating. But it just depends on how much. It depends on why you're there. Um, if you're there because um, you just love the art of it, you love the expression of it, the, the ability to express, the ability to. See, and I was brought up with a family that taught. My dad was a college professor, and he was a music professor. And my mother taught modern dance and movement in the theater, and directed and. They were great collaborators. They wrote uh, three musicals, an opera, and three ballets. My mother would be the, the write the lyrics, and my father would write the music. So I grew up thinking that's what art was, that you collaborated on everything. I didn't know there was another thing called competition. It didn't make any sense. And um, I'm glad I was brought up that way because um, it really colored how I view things. But it's been a struggle because I don't want to play the games that everybody wants to play. I want to get out there and create, just create and create and create. Um, 
So that's been um, – so I think it's um, – it's, you have to decide why you're there. If you're there because you want to be famous, then that's going to color how you present yourself in the world. And you might, it might find it an, a very painful struggle because you've, you've put your focus on – but, you know, if that's what you want, that's perfectly all right. It's not a judgment call on it. But I think, I think those of us who stick with it really, really long is because we just – it's – we're creative people. We're right-brained people. We have to express ourselves in the world. I was brought up that theater was healing, which is why I started the theater company for persons with developmental disabilities, being a dyslexic. And um, um, it's just a healing experience, especially musical theater, which I love, I'm attracted to so much, although I love to do Shakespeare and all the kinds of wonderful things as well. Um, but or storytelling, but which is all the same thing, you know, when you think about it. What I loved about musical theater is it causes a whole brain learning experience. I mean, you have your left brain is stimulated by words, and then you have your right brain stimulated by music and movement. And um, when you get that all going, it's just by the end of the day, you've, you've, you've reached a place of euphoria for, for, for a creative person. Um, so if if you're if that you just kind of have to look at why you're there. If you need to express, if you need to be creative, then keep at it, and um, and find a unique and individual voice because we're everybody right now. I've gone to see people's performances from the kids that come out of college and they look like cookie cookie cutters. And I know they do that because they want um, to be able to play all different kinds of things. What I see the problem there is there's no uniqueness anymore. And I think um, it's the struggle is to find your uniqueness and how to express that in a way that um, um, is wonderful and gives us something new to listen to and new something new to look at and takes us in the theater should theater is art so it should always be taking us to the next step of where we're going in our world. And I know it's kind of a funny time with theater and musical theater. We kind of don't know where we are right now as we're in a new century trying to figure out where, who we're becoming. But stick with it and be the vo- try and be the voice that's going to bring us to someplace that's new. And parents, the theater business is full of sexual delinquents. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. But, you know, we're... Thank God. <laughs> we're, <laughs> but we're probably the most ta- uh, tolerant group of people. <laughs> and um, it's, it's so nice to be, you know, I think I, I want to be with civilians and get away from all the nuttiness. And then I can only take that for so long and I just have to get around with people where I can just be silly <laughs> and get paid for it. <laughs> All right, so The Road to Ruin is from September 18th through October 1st. Yes. Is when it runs. Uh, what theater are you playing at? We're at the 45th Street Theater on um, on 45th Street between mm-hmm. 8th and 9th. I came up with the name. Oh, I don't yeah. know. It's right around the corner. <laughs> it's right around the corner. <laughs> and uh, you have your own website besides the name of the website? Yes. www.theroadtoruin.com. And they can go there or the Nymph website to find out all the glorious times and weird scheduling of the festival. We are most fortunately at 8 o'clock for five of our six shows. Yeah, which is great. Because that gets really confusing when everybody has these different schedules. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, Anne Morrison, I thank you so much for coming on and sharing your, your advice. And William Zephyro. Best of luck as you. you go down the road to ruin, which is musical <laughs> theater, isn't it? It certainly it's is. great fun. <laughs> All right. The Call Board. All right, first up, the Tony Award-winning musical In the Heights has again been honored. Actors' Equity announced September 10th that the acclaimed has been named the recipient of the Actors' Equity Association Advisory Committee on Chorus Affairs' second annual ACCA Award for Outstanding Broadway Chorus. 
That's a mouthful. <laughs> the award, according to press statement, honors the distinctive talents and contributions made by the chorus of a Broadway musical. Next up, the new colony, the new Chicago theater company dedicated exclusively to world premieres, will present Amelia Earhart Jungle Princess this fall at the National Pastime Theater. Directed by Andrew Hobgood, the production will begin preview September 26th and officially open September 29th. Amelia Earhart Jungle Princess, according to press notes, quote, unfolds the possible history of the expedition that actually found the legendary pilot living as a semi-amnesiatic jungle woman. Shifting between wild jungle encounters and dangerous showdowns of business and politics, the story extrapolates the two sides of the Earhart mythos as a daring pioneer and divisive, uh, and divisive feminist icon. All right, then, San Diego's Old Globe has announced the productions that will be featured during the company's 2009 summer season. Joining the previously announced new musical, The First Wives Club, will be the productions of Shakespeare's Twelfth Night and Henry VIII, Rostin's Cyrano de Bergerac, and Charles Ludlum's The Mystery of Irma Vep. Details about the summer season can be found on our website in the show notes. Then, the Shakespeare Theatre Company in Washington, D.C. opens its 2008-2009 season with an all-male production of Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet September 9th through October 12th at Sidney Harmon Hall. STC Associate Artistic Director David Muse stages the production. The all-male casting reflects the convention of Shakespeare's time. Opening is September 15th. Then, last up on the call board, Jason Robert Brown's The Last Five Years, originally scheduled to receive a one-night gala staging at the Theatre Royale Haymarket on October 12th, will now play two additional performances on October 19th and October 26th, after the original date sold out less than four weeks after going on sale. Last Five Years is presented under the auspices of the Notes from New York series, whose fifth anniversary will be marked by this production. On the boards. So, when you attended college, did you think that your experience could be a musical? <laughs> Our next composers did, uh, evidently. College the Musical is playing at NIMP from uh, September 18th to the 28th. And we have got one of the co-authors, Scott Elmgreen, here, along with one of the leading actors from the show, Molly Ephraim, to talk about the show. She was also involved in the original production back at Princeton. How are you doing? doing? We're good. Great, thanks. <laughs> All right, so first things first, what is College the Musical about? What is it? <laughs> College the Musical. Well, it's, uh, it's about what it sounds like it would be about. It's about a group of really good friends at college and uh, this kind of um, new kid to the neighborhood, Nathan, who's this bright-eyed, uh, excited freshman who's kind of naive, a little uh, oblivious. And you need bright-eyed and naive to have a musical, right? Exactly. exactly. <laughs> and uh, so he kind of comes in and is really swept up in this world that he sees at college, which is kind of personified in this group of friends. Uh, and then as the show uh, progresses, he sort of comes to realize things about the group that he's, that he's partying with and talking with and comes to realize things about himself, too. So uh, now the history of the show, this was done a couple of years ago at Princeton? Yeah, it was done in the, uh, let's see, the spring, April 2006. Yeah. So a little while ago now. And uh, then went on to do a workshop at the University at Buffalo and then uh, a workshop at the, with the Pace New Musicals program at Pace University in New York. And, uh, and then uh, its professional premiere at the Hippodrome State Theater in Gainesville this past summer. It's quite a few productions already. <laughs> yeah, we've been we've been amazed. We've been very fortunate with it. And Molly, you were in the original Princeton production. Yes. 
Yes. Um, well, originally I think they wanted me to be in the cast, but I was so <laughs> I was so busy that year that I was like, no, I, I I'm not going to commit to being in a show. For but you were doing choreography. But I will I will choreograph. Right. I will choreograph for you. That's fine. <laughs> I will do that. Um, and then one of the actresses had to drop out, so all eyes kind of turned to me. Mm-hmm. I said, oh, okay. But I'm really and happy I did because it was so. I mean, it's like meta college experiences <laughs> being in college the musical at college and it's it's so much a part of like what i what i remember my entire college experience being like a lot of those memories come from working in the show so from being in the first production to being you know to currently and and of course god feel free to comment on this too but i'm curious especially as an actor your insights is what how you've seen the show evolve since then right um I originally, back at Princeton, I was playing Catherine, and the Catherine, Catherine is the, well, sort of love interest of Nathan, the, you know, naive freshman. Um, And I think originally, any time that a show is is done for the first time, you're sort of feeling out characters, and um, I think Catherine sort of fell by the wayside, especially by the end, because we were so interested in finding out things about other characters. And something that I've really enjoyed seeing in this production is the way that that her story has really come to life and been expanded, and she's a much deeper person, and um, seeing that with most of the relationships in the show, a lot of people kind of evolving. Yeah, you know, it's been interesting working on the show for about three years now and having had the great fortune of, of a few different productions to test things out with different actors and different directors and, and see what sticks and see what doesn't. And uh, the show's ha- has gotten much tighter over the years. It's gone from a, a two-act show to really a tight 85 to 90-minute show. Uh, so it moves like lightning now, it feels, to me at least, and uh, is, everything there should be there. It's kind of been distilled down to what I think are its finest moments. And, um, and more importantly, um, being now a few years away from the college experience, Drew and I and our actors sort of have a little more perspective on what that time in our life meant. And so we can hopefully... Um, put some more of that into the show as well. Right, well, let's take a second and listen to one of the songs from your, uh, is this a demo or is this a previous cast recording? This is a a demo of um, the cast that we did. We had a a reading in New York City um, in the spring of 2007, and that cast is singing on this demo. Okay, so what's this first song we're going to be hearing? This first song is called Tired, and uh, at the beginning of the show, the the students are kind of um, dealing with, sort of the, the trivialities of everyday life. They're tired about going to class, they're tired about doing their papers, they're tired about fighting with each other or their parents. Um, and it, it kind of sets up a nice progression uh, towards the end of the show as the kids start dealing with really much more important and serious issues and kind of discovering themselves throughout that. But first we kind of see this, this glimpse into their everyday lives. All right, let's take a listen. Where email checkers and ramen Poster putter-uppers and party partakers We're rehearsal-goer tours and sometimes laundry-doers Hash connoisseurs and piggy bank-breakers We're relationship-havers and roommate-mediators Squat-sitter-honors and lunatic-daters We're soccer stars who play guitars at nursing homes and go to bars Knowing that we have a 10-page paper due later So yeah, we're all a little tired, but yeah, in college that's required 
when there's only one you. So we whine and we droop and we ache. Cause we're constantly, ceaselessly, always awake. We're midnight pizza eaters, pajama bottom wearers, lecture sitter throughers, and life lesson sharers. We're on our knees to try to please them, PhDs and earn degrees. We're cell phone psychoanalysts and stereo players. Oh yeah, we're all a little weary. Constantly, ceaselessly, always awake. I was up all night doing homework. I was up all night playing Smash Brothers. I was up all night yelling at Rob because he was up all night playing Smash Brothers. I was up all night at the party. We were up all night arguing. We were up all night. Remember why better get some sleep before I die. I'm tired of my 10 a.m. lectures, smiling every hour, worrying and feeling like I have no power. The pressure to be pretty and to leave extremely witty away. Messages just to say I'm in the shower. Having roommates and professors and parents to please. Tired of conjunctivitis. Eat the machines and whack up seeds, but still dress up on Halloween. We're tired of being in between, so maybe that explains why we yeah. We're all a little groggy, oh yeah. And sometimes when it's foggy, our bodies complain, cause our lives are insane. Maybe sooner or later they'll break, cause we're constantly, ceaselessly, always awake. I'm getting tired of trying so hard. I'm getting tired of being me. I'm getting tired of throwing up and dancing. No, damn, it's time to cram for an exam. So yeah, we're all a little burned out. Yeah, that's just the way it turns out. We're always so deep that we can't even sleep. So we're certain to make some mistakes. Oh, sorry, dude. Cause we're constantly, ceaselessly, always awake. We're all a little tired, but we're endlessly awake. All right, you kind of spoiled one question I had planned, but let's, <laughs> we're going to go into more detail in it anyway. And and that question I was going to ask is for the two of you, kind of. There's something about perspective, you know, when, you know, surprised writing a show about college while you're in college can, you know, is going to definitely bring about different things than when you graduate. And I'll, I'll tell you, too, in five, ten years down the road with how you look back at this, too. And I, I'm kind of curious, what has been some of the different colorations that you've, you know, seen that maybe stuff that seemed great while you were, the, you know, back there in it and looking back is, oh, maybe that was a little indulgent or, or vice versa, stuff that you didn't think was very good that you realizes was more in point than you thought. Yeah, well, I think the great advantage to having written at least the first draft while in college is that um, we really were, were very immediately involved with the material. So there was a lot of kind of honesty, I, I hope, in how we portrayed it and in the types of things that college students are going through right now, really what this generation is, is looking at when they go through their four years or however many years at college. And so that's the first half of the equation, is getting that to be honest and sincere. 
And then the second half of that is, well, what does that mean, what these, what these students are going through? What does that mean in terms of our generation, in terms of um, you know, the political spectrum in America right now, in terms of um, how that relates to older generations and, and even younger generations? And so that's what we've been infusing into the show in the past three years. And of course, that makes all the difference between a show that's uh, that's lasting uh, to the, to an audience member and a show that might just be fun. And I think even in a more simplistic sense, just the dialogue um, in the show is really funny. But I can't imagine it being um, being written by someone who was you know five ten years out of college because it's so much a part of what our friends were saying and what we were saying and the sort of you know intonation and stuff like that. You know. While we're at college, we see, oh, these students are playing video games all the time. They're not going out to vote for this election. How can this be? You know, we're seeing that side of it. And then uh, from an outsider's perspective, and, and an outsider's perspective is shown in the show, too. We have this uh, public safety officer, Officer Agnes, who is a much older um, character compared to the college students and kind of gives this, this outside perspective, sort of the audience's perspective of, what are these kids doing? Why aren't they applying themselves? Why aren't they doing more? Um, and... So, so now, now that we have at least a little bit of that perspective, too, it allows us to ask the important questions of, of what it is these kids are going through. So um, we look at it in the context of these kids are on the cusp of, of something really big. You know, college is an interesting time in that it's kind of this no man's land between childhood and adulthood. And so these kids uh, are really intelligent students and, and very witty and, and fun with each other. But in just a few months or, or a few years at most, they're going to have to go out into the world and do some really important things. There's a lot of fixing that needs to be done. Um, and, and these are the kids who are going to do it. And that's real. So it, it matters to us, no matter what age you are, it matters to us what these college students are doing and what they're thinking and what they're going to go on to do. So it's a really interesting um, kind of snapshot of the lives of these really important people for our generation. Um, to see what were they thinking at that point in their lives and how does that inform what they're going to go jump out into the world and do. <laughs> All right, let's take a listen to the next song here. Uh, do you want to set this one up? This song or... is called Good Enough For Now, and uh, it's a, a satire of both kind of the college hookup culture that we observed while we were there and also the um, sort of the love song genre in, in general. <laughs> All right, let's take a listen. <laughs> You see, when I get drunk, I get less articulous. You're cute. Lindsay, how can I put this? I have this weird feeling. I'm afraid it's here to stay. Because I'm pretty sure drinking more won't make it go away. And since you're really hot, I don't know what to do I guess I'm sorta in love with you A little This is happening so fast Will it last? I can't see how Might as well What the hell Good enough for now I thought you were stupid I thought that you were immature 
maybe we're meant to be. Maybe I feel a spark. Maybe people just seem better looking in the dark. I'm not saying let's move in. I'm not saying let's get pets. I'm just saying one night might be worth all the regrets. I'm willing to settle. Cause you have shown me how. You're out of mind when you're out of sight. But I see you right now. All right, so College of Musical, again, it's uh, September 18th to the 28th at the New York Musical Theater Festival. Um, they can find out all the specific scheduling information at the NIMF website at nymph.org. Uh, do you know what theater this is playing at? It's playing at the ATA Theater, which is on 54th Street uh, between 8 and 9. All right, and any parting shots either, either of you want to get out here on the... Come see it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really fun show, and, yeah. and hopefully it... It starts to get at some at some interesting questions, especially in this very charged political time leading up to the election. I think it's interesting to look at what this mm-hmm. younger generation of, of voters, which is what everyone's talking about, what are they thinking right now? All right, Molly, I understand you just moved here to New York, so yeah. best of luck with that. Thank literally, you. Like, literally like two days ago you said, didn't you? Yeah, so. I mean, you know, I'm going to be couch hopping for a little bit. We'll see. All right, well, Molly Ephraim and Scott Elmgreen, uh, thank you so much for stopping by. Thank I wish you, you the so best much. of yeah. luck in your run. Thank you. On the boards. The Prospect Theatre Company is celebrating its 10th anniversary. Can you believe it? They've been doing lots of musicals over those 10 years. In fact, I believe 14 original musicals is what they have produced. And they are celebrating in style with a Nymph concert in conjunction with Nymph uh, for their 10th anniversary. And uh, well, there's going to be a lot of great guest stars, a lot of the songs performed from those shows from the past 10 years. And we have got uh, the founder and uh, resident writer, Peter Mills, with us, as well as Cara Reichel, who is producing artistic director. Uh, you may possibly remember them. They were on one of our very first episodes uh, with Nymph when they were here uh, doing Illyria at, at Nymph. And so how are the two of you doing? We're great. Yeah. Uh, it feels like we were here just yesterday. Yeah. But I guess yeah. it's been, uh, what was it, when we first did the Illyria and we came here? How long it ago was, was that? It was 2006, I guess. And now we're doing Illyria again this fall yeah. in a full production. So we're kind of, this year is a lot of coming full circle and touching base with stuff we've done before and trying to do it in a bigger, better way as the company grows. So 
what what's going on with the concert? You got a lot of great people. You probably first off want to let people know some of the people that's going to be showing up here. Sure, sure. Well, and this and right away I'll say this is one night only event. It's mm -hmm. the September twenty first. Yes. Um, well, we really wanted to. This is our tenth anniversary season, as you said before, and we really wanted to sort of kick it off in style. And um, Nymph invited us to come do an event, and so we thought this was a really wonderful way to to start things off. Um, basically, we're going to be doing one song from each of the 14 shows that we've produced um, since we, I guess our first musical we did was in 99 or 2000. 2000. And um, uh, actually, one of the first shows we did, uh, Gavin Creel played the leading role uh, right before he went to do Thoroughly Modern Millie on Broadway. <laughs> we were very lucky. <laughs> he, was, he was already on contract with Millie, and he had a few months free while, he, while they were, I guess they had to put the set in storage or something. He's like, sure, I'll do your show. So um, he was one of the early, early Prospect Theatre Company members, and um, he's going to come and sing a song called Highway Miles, which is from The Flood, and uh, we're going to, I guess, hear a recording of that in, in a few minutes. Well, but well, maybe right now. Oh. Wanna, we... <laughs> there are lots of other great people I can Well, yeah, let's, let's name the people, and then we'll listen to Highway Miles. Sure, sure. Um, we, I don't, Pete, maybe you want to talk about Malcolm Getz, too. He's sure. Playing. The very first show, that, uh, very first musical that we did yeah. with Prospect was a show called The Taxi Cabaret, and we, we staged this six-person musical review at uh, the Duplex Cabaret, and it had costume changes and sets, and it was outrageously difficult to pack it into that space, the Duplex Cabaret. But yeah. anyway... It had a song in it called Way Ahead of My Time, also known as the Caveman Song, that has since probably become maybe the best-known song of mine, I think, be partly because, or largely because, uh, it got into the hands of Malcolm Getz, who has since made it kind of a regular thing in cabaret uh, performances that he does. And uh, we're really thrilled to have him come sing that song, the Caveman song, at this concert. Yeah, and then uh, also Jose Lana is going to come and do a song from our most recent show, Honor, um, which he did a reading of for us last year. And uh, Stephen Bogardus is going to host the evening. And, Matt Cavanaugh. Uh, Matt Cavanaugh is going to come and sing a great song called Breaking Up, or the cell phone song uh, from Lonely Rhymes, which was mm -hmm. a, a comic musical review we did a few years back. So um, anyway, and then the, the evening is filled with lots of other people uh, who are both company regulars and Broadway folks that we're uh, bringing on board. So it's going to be a very full 90-minute concert. All right, so is there anything you want to say about this first song, Highway Miles, about the... Uh, yeah, uh, why don't you set it up for a little... Oh, boy. Uh, the Flood, <laughs> yes. Uh, the Flood is a musical about a small town on the Mississippi River uh, during the 1993 floods. And if they search um, your archives, they can still find your interview on that and hear oh, a couple other songs from right. The Flood, Absolutely. Too. Oh, okay, so just use the setup I did back <laughs> then. Uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure it was better. Yeah. No, uh, and the song that uh, Gavin sings... Uh, the, the, the young male lead of the show is, uh, he's the son of the mayor of this small town, but he dreams of nothing more than getting out of this town. And he's just learned that, uh, he may soon be able to acquire a pickup truck of his own. And, uh, he, he dreams of leaving the town. Yeah. Great. All right. Let's take a listen. 34 miles to St. Louis, where I crossed the Mississippi. Four more hours to the state line. And I race through Kansas City Till the skyline yields to golden fields That call me on to Colorado Sierra Nevada A beautiful name like a woman you're dreaming of 
And then I'm there, the salt sea air, the rocky coastline of California. Dad thinks that I'll be staying on, but when I get that pickup truck, I'm gone. I'll be making highway miles, riding like a shockwave, clear across America. singing on the road. I grin as I kick her into overdrive and let the motor roar. I feel more alive each day. My sky gets clearer as the clouds in the rearview mirror fade away. Yeah, yeah. I'll be making highway miles, riding like a shockwave, clear across America, gonna let those highway miles unwind, leave it all behind. The dead end streets choked with dust, the same old stores and stoplights. Every way's a beaten track leading back to where I've been before. The roads I dream of are long and winding. They run through country I've never seen. They follow west where the sun is blinding. And I'll be finding my freedom. I'll be making highway miles, riding like a shockwave. Clear across America, gonna let those highway miles unroll. Sweet upon my soul, I'll be making highway miles. Man, I gotta get where I can let those highway miles unroll. If I stay here, what could I be but the mayor of Meyerville's kid? Gotta find my own way Like my great, great, great Grandfather did So, ten years of producing musical theater here in New York. You do other things besides musical theater as well, don't you? But, yeah. but it's predominantly. Well, you know, over the past uh, decade, we... Originally, when we started out, uh, part of the mission of the company was to create an environment in which the founding artists, including Pete and myself, could sort of work and uh, develop our work and produce our work. Uh, so originally, Pete was sort of working on writing one musical a year, which is about the amount that he can turn out, <laughs> we've learned. We've kept and, up that rate. <laughs> but we've what we've started, uh, we wanted to do a, a full season. So we were doing three shows. And you, uh, the first few years, we would do one new musical by Pete. 
and then um, a classic play, or we've done a couple of new plays as well. But as we went through um, and we got kind of better at learning how to produce new musicals, we just realized what a, a need and a demand that there was for that in New York City, how many great writers are out there yearning to get their work produced, and, and what a sort of eager, hungry audience there is for that kind of work in New York City. So, uh, you know, I'm thrilled that the Music Theater Festival has grown up to fulfill that need in part, but we sort of have have found more and more that that's a really great and much needed role for us in the theater community. So um, for the past few years, we've been doing three new musicals a year and incorporating writers other than Pete um, while continuing to have him kind of churn out <laughs> one new show a year. So of the 14 shows we've done, nine of them are projects that Pete worked on. One of the nine, he just wrote the lyrics for, and um, Stephen Weiner did the music, and Susan Delala did the book. And then I think the other shows are The the Tutor by Mary Rose Wood and Andrew Gerla, uh, Blue Flower by Jim and Ruth Bauer, um, Dido and Aeneas uh, with music in part by Pete, in part by Henry Purcell, and then also by a writer named Rick Hip Flores, um, which we'll be doing a song from. Uh, what are the other ones? Talk, uh, Talk Tick by Jihei Lee and Tim Nevitz. And, oh, God, now I'm going to forget the last one because I don't have it in front of me. Uh, oh, Book of the Dun Cow by Mark mm-hmm. St. Germain and Randy Quartz was the other one. So. Yeah, I think it's been a really positive sign of prospects growing as a company that uh, what began as a company with... Uh, doing shows by me. It was sort of a mom-and-pop operation almost, and uh, we were producing a lot of things by me, and now we're expanding to produce other people's musicals, and I'm all for Prospect being a place for new musical theater, and I would love for us to be as a, you know strongly associated with that. And it's also been great for us to return to some of the ones that we did uh, uh, when we were first starting out because we've gotten so much better at, at producing shows. So I'm really excited this year, for instance, to return to Illyria. Mm-hmm. And we're actually, we for, for most of our history, we have been producing the sort of ubiquitous equity showcase here in New York. But mm-hmm. um, we're really proud that this year we're expanding and moving up to a real equity contract. So we're able to start compensating our artists at a better level. And that's part of our you know long-term vision for becoming a real... Um, established producer here in New York. I was reading in the paper just the other day that uh, Google is also celebrating their 10th anniversary, mm-hmm. and, and we like to think that we've, we've grown a lot <laughs> over our 10 years as well. Maybe not as much as Google. <laughs> Nevertheless, we are moving on to uh, fancier production contracts and uh, bigger, yeah. bigger deals. All right, well, we got another song here that's going to be in the, in the concert. Uh, do you want to set this one up here? Sure. Uh, yeah. This is from a show called Iron Curtain, which uh, is a... Uh, musical, a madcap musical farce set in the 1950s. It's about two uh, down-on-their-luck American songwriters who are kidnapped by the KGB and brought to the Soviet Union to help show doctor the, uh, the Soviet Union's propaganda musicals, which uh, are, were a real thing in the 1950s and was sort of our starting place, the inspiration for this show. These, these you, you can't believe how campy they are, the, these actual uh, Soviet musicals. That we, we watched a documentary about them. Um, in any case, in, in our uh, version, there is a, uh, a ministry of musical persuasion that turns out these propaganda musicals, and the head of it is uh, a fellow named uh, Evgeny Onanov, yeah. uh, who, who secretly really dreams of doing musicals on Broadway, except he's trapped in the Soviet Union. He dreams of opening his uh, Onanov Broadway. Yeah. Uh, in this particular scene, he's just been told that, uh, that the premier, Khrushchev, is... Uh, Dissolving his his ministry of musical persuasion, throwing all the money into Sputnik. Uh, so he's just been his dreams have been crushed, and 
Uh, but he rallies his spirit, spirits and decides that he is going to uh, defect. defect. Yeah. All right. And the song is called If Not for Musicals. Okay, let's take a listen. If not for musicals, life would be so stale and sensible. Whistling would be indefensible. Not a whiff of whimsy, not one smile, but something magical happens whenever I violin begins to play. Melodies lighten all our cares and carry us away. Thank God for musicals, miracles that make this earth worthwhile. What else have we got to live for if not for musicals? For one thing, it's an over and a done thing. What's a minister to do on this occasion? Can I still get one last verse in as the circumstances worsen for a person of the musical persuasion? Could I? Would I? On and And if I can only make them their farewell, where else could the plot be headed if not for musicals? Life would be so stale and sensible. Whistling would be indefensible. Not a whiff of whimsy, not one smile.
for some mysterious reason, which I have no idea what happened, the very tail end of this interview is lost into the ether, never to be found again. Um, we did cover most of the interview already. The main thing that we just got into were, of course, the dates. So just to remind everybody that uh, the... Prospect Theatre Company's 10th anniversary concert is one night only, September 21st at 9 p.m. at 37 Arts. You can find out more about tickets by going to nymf.org or going to the theater's website at www.prospecttheater, that's theater with an E-R, dot org. And again, I'd like to thank Peter Mills and Carl Reichel for stopping by to discuss the, sh the show and to share their music with us. Thank you. On the boards. It's a hot property that hundreds and hundreds have been racing to complete a dance piece in time. But we've got the production and director behind the show that made it first. Wild About Harry is a dance piece around Leona Helmsley and her story. And it is showing at Nymph. And uh, we've got Elizabeth Lucas, who's directing the piece. And Melinda Atwood, who's producing Wild About Harry. And I'm kind of curious to hear about, I was joking about that. Oh, maybe there are hundreds. Five. <laughs> Racing for this. Six. <laughs> but yeah, you said there's five or six choreographers involved in this. And tell, tell us about the project. What, what's it about? What's going on with Wild About Harry? Well, it's actually about Leona Helmsley. Um, and I think the origins were, we wanted to do a piece about an iconic figure that everybody knows, or an iconic moment in, in history. But some of those are kind of depressing. And then we started kicking around ideas of iconic people, New York characters, and up popped Leona Helmsley. And the initial shot was that she'd left $12 million to her dog. And then we talked about that for a while, and how interesting was that. And I didn't find that that interesting. But we started talking about her as a character. And she's sort of universally um, disliked or... or <laughs> Despised. Yeah, yeah. Misunderstood. But the more we dug into her life, and this was a lot of women, the writer, the director, and the producer, the more sympathetic we started to feel towards her. And um, that was sort of our in, her love affair with Harry. Apparently they had a, a great love affair. And they used to go out ballroom dancing. So this just... We said, that's it. It'd be very easy to do an hour-long show about Leona Helmsley that's all about how evil she is. But that's not very dramatic or really very interesting. And really, when you think about how successful she was, and this was not a woman who slept her way to the top. This is a woman who actually had a significant amount of success before she even met Harry Helmsley. You know that she had to have a lot of good qualities, too. She worked her tail off. She, she was a perfectionist. She was very demanding. And uh, that is exactly the kind of person who can be a lightning rod for, for negative energy. Well, you know, Elizabeth, maybe too for some of our younger listeners who may not know, maybe refresh everybody who Leona Helmsley is and what she did. Leona Helmsley was a real estate mogul, kind of came to prominence in the 80s, who married Harry Helmsley. Uh, and they own, for example, the Empire State Building. Uh, along with, uh, I think their their estate was was valued around eight or nine billion. They're still figuring out uh, exactly what the value of the estate is, uh, and that's all in property, major office buildings, major sky rises in in pretty much every major city in the country. And uh, she came to prominence in the news in a bad way 
when she was prosecuted for tax fraud, essentially. Uh, she had some contractors who were working on uh, a, basically a palace for her. Uh, they were not happy with how they were paid. There was apparently some underpaying going on. And so they, they went after her. And uh, the thing is, she, uh, she had made enough en enemies by that point that there wasn't really anyone stepping in to protect her. You know, when you read, when you read about uh, the case, you know, there's definitely some shady things going on, but there's a lot of, a lot of business as usual. You know, there's a lot of uh, things that you know go on and, and 40 people may be doing it, but Leona's the one who got prosecuted. And you kind of look at that and say, well, why is she the one who's prosecuted? And it's like, probably because she's alienated a lot of people. And uh, so she's a little bit uh, the, the more extreme Martha Stewart of her day. You know, a lot of people did what Martha Stewart did. Why did she go to jail for six months and not, you know, 40 other male executives? Uh, she was a real estate mogule in the 80s, which was not exactly a friendly time to be doing that as a woman. And she said a lot of things that, I mean, she's very outspoken, and apparently she had this voice, and she would say what she thought. And one of the lines that she denies saying, because we've read everything in print on Leanna Helmsley, but she was quoted as saying at her trial was, we don't pay taxes, only the little people pay taxes. Mm -hmm. And one of her maids or something got on the stand and said this, and it was just toast. That was not a good thing to say. And she was a very volatile and difficult character. It's not that she was completely unjustifiably vilified. But again, because she was a woman in that time, had it been a man, that might not have been as difficult. You know, the, her salty language and, you know, her uh, wanting things to be the way she wanted. So... Um, we took this and, and, again, to do a whole piece on this sort of wretched being wasn't very interesting. But Harry and her love affair and things that went on in her life that might have contributed to her a strange behavior or less than celestial behavior was interesting to us. And then how to do that through dance. And the scenes we've chosen are, are operatic, and they are all from her life. You know, it's, it's a lot of fun, actually, uh, picking things out from the love affair uh, with Harry, um, building her career and making that a huge thing, the sort of her relationship with her hotel staff. Um, and then we take all of those things, which are Leona from her point of view, Leona building her life, and turn them around at the trial and make it from everybody else's point of view. So we have kind of the before trial Leona, the trial Leona, and then the after trial Leona, which, you know, that's where we get in with, uh, you know, she actually was courted by a gentleman uh, who turned out to be gay. She caught him in her clothing. And, uh, you know, he was after the money, and uh, she did not respond well to that. So it makes for that one it makes for a lot of fun dancing. Uh, and uh, that's one thing that kind of interests me is a lot of the a lot of dance pieces are you know usually started by choreographers, you know, and and found in and from I understand from the way you're talking that it was the two of you that instigated this whole idea and concept of doing this. Well, it's Melinda. Yeah. Well, and, this is the third piece I've done for Nymph. Um, that it's all dance. And I run a program called Dance Break here in the city that showcases up-and-coming. Well, I know. That. Okay, yeah, the, the, I knew I recognized your name from somewhere. And I, I saw Dance Break this past year. There's Did some you? amazing work going on there. Fabulous. So we've had, well, we're going into our eighth year, I think, um, I'm sure. 
And so each year there's six choreographers. So Nymph came to me three years ago and said, would you like to do a, a, a dance choreographically driven piece? And I said, oh yes, that would be fun. But what interested me at that point was taking one storyline and have five choreographers do it, all in dance. And we did that the first year, and that was Common Grounds. And then we learned a lot. And then the next year, we thought, oh, do it again. And we did one called Platforms last summer, which was very well received. And then this year, we thought, well, let's, but we made up the story. This year, we thought, let's take a real person. And each year, you get a little bit better at how to do this and structure five choreographers. And I know them. I've worked with all of them, except for Maurice. He's our, our uh, special new person this year. But I sort of know where they're going to go and their strengths. And you can say, well, I would really like to see you do the prison dance. <laughs> this <laughs> Which is, is hot. Yeah, the prison <laughs> dance. And I said, just go as far as you want on that prison dance, Jeff. Let it rip. And they have different personalities and different uh, sensibilities. And um, Shay's doing the Queen of Mean, which is just a throwdown tap number. So it's a lot of energy and a lot of fun. And each one of them, I think, approaches this as the 11th hour number. So we have a lot of very high energy dance and these beautiful little dancers. We oh, they're extraordinary. 12, they're, they're getting their workout on this show. And they love it. They love mm -hmm. it because they get to really dance one hour flat out. Although we do have three Leonas, because that's a little much. Um, <laughs> but so that's why this is, and it's interesting to me. I mean, uh, clearly it was done with moving out, but to do an all dance piece that tells a story without benefit of songs and, and lyrics, I think it's possible, and I think it's really interesting. But we're still, you know, fleshing out the the way that it works best. And this year, I think we've done a really good. Job. Elizabeth has done a really good <laughs> job. This is gonna rock. Yeah. Uh, well, now I know you brought in one of the songs, how or, or music pieces from the show. And uh, do you want to? We're going to play one of this. Do you want to set this up or how this intertwines with what's going on on stage? Sure. The song we brought in is "Trouble with Harry," and uh, "Trouble" was Leona Helmsley's dog. She got this dog after Harry Helmsley died, and uh, she, real life Leona, thought that the dog was channeling her dead husband. So they had a somewhat unhealthy relationship. Um, you it's know, very smoochy. Yeah, very smoochy relationship with the dog. <laughs> anyway, uh, so this particular number is um, right after she's been sort of devastated by, by the boyfriend who turned out to be gay. And she gets this dog, and the dog makes her happy. And so she starts cheering up, and then she starts seeing Harry instead of the dog. And gradually, Harry and the dog merge, and uh, that's what the song is about. That says dance to me. All right, and this is composed by? By Danikisto. All right, let's take a listen.
right, so Trouble with Harry, he's playing four performances? Five. Five. And that's on uh, starting September 19th through the 28th. Right, there's a gap between 21 and 28. But yes, this, I think it's 19, 20, 20, 21, 28. And people can go to the NIMF website to find out more information. Do you have a, does the show have its own website as well? Or no. Just the show so page the NIMF, on yeah. Mm-hmm. Is where they can find that. And of course, we'll have the dates up on our show notes at broadwaybullet.com. So, uh, any other parting shots you want to get out on uh, Wild About Harry? Um, well, we should give you the name of our choreographers. Yeah, yes. Fabulous. Uh, Shay Sullivan, this is not in alphabetical order. Josh Bergas, Daryl Gray, Jeff Shade, and Maurice Brandon Curry. The five of them. And they're, they're it's fabulous. They just do incredible they're tremendous work. choreographers mm-hmm. yeah. and very diverse. Everything from tap to dance to, modern, to ballet to modern to everything in between. All right. Well, I wish you luck with Wild About Harry and... Uh, and thank you so much, Elizabeth Lucas and Melinda Atwood, for coming in and sharing. Thank you, Michael. Thank right. you. Thanks. Bye. On the boards. The director likes to call Max and the Truffle Pig a children's musical for adults. And as the only children's theater offering at the New York Musical Theater Festival this year, this ought to prove a good bet to bring the family to. And we have director Erica Gould and actor Kevin Michael Murphy here to talk about Max and the Truffle Pig, which has been adapted from a children's book to the stage and is being put on here at Nymph. How are you guys doing? Excellent. Good. You know, uh, Erica, you've got one of the best smiles I've seen, and it's really a shame that this is strictly audio. That You are too kind. <laughs> hey, Kevin, yours isn't bad either. Good. Good. We're a happy bunch. Since he's the one on stage, I hope. (laughs) So first off, tell us a little bit about Max and the Truffle Pig. Well, it's um, it's uh, what I kind of call shock-headed Peter without the violence a little bit. (laughs) No, this is based on a children's book, right? It's based on a children's book. It's um, set not now, um, and it's in this. well, it's set in the south of France, and it's about people hunting for truffles, which are not not the chocolate kind, but the, as they say, the smelly, odd-looking mushroom, mushroom type. fungus things yes. that grow in the ground. And as some people may know, they're actually uh, hunted by pigs. There's a particular breed of pigs that go out into the woods and sniff for them. And when they find them, they start digging, and then you pull them back so they don't eat them before the farmer can get them. And uh, the play is actually about that. Yes, <laughs> yeah. you can actually uh, look up videos on YouTube, which I have found to be rather interesting. Of, uh, of truffle hunts. Yes. Um, but it, it concerns um, a little boy and his pig, Suzette, who is a truffle pig. And she's basically, you know, his best friend and his pet. Now, and is Max the little boy? Yes. Yes. What, what are you, like six feet? Um, yeah. 5'11", <laughs> um, though I seem to have cornered the market on adults playing children. Uh, but, yeah, he's a very serious little boy. Um, His father puts a lot of responsibility on him. Um, And Suzette, which is the name of his truffle pig, um, she is exactly the opposite. She is outgoing, very, very hyperactive. Um, Some might say she has ADHD. Totally. We're definitely playing her ADHD, definitely. (laughs) Um, And so they they are sort of um, opposite sides of the coin. Um, And they really end up learning a lot from each other. Max learns to, to sort of that he can have fun and that he's allowed to be a kid. He's nine. Um, and she learns that she has a job to do to find the truffles. <laughs> they definitely have a sort of inverted arc. Like Max is very fearful and anxious. And as I was saying before, you know, he's, um, he's facing things that, that are pretty substantive for kids. Mm-hmm. Um, 
the anxiety um, of looking out into a really scary world and uh, being brought up in a single family household and having to kind of become the other adults and having a dad who's a little absentee and kind of volatile yeah. and unpredictable. Um, and uh, that he actually has a lot more inner strength than he realizes. And Suzette thinks she's, uh, you know, fearless, but actually she has a lot of fears. And uh, they learn from each other and kind of go on an inverted journey where they yes. both end up in kind of a better place. And they meet a lot of crazy people. Yes. <laughs> so, it, I mean, all that sounds so serious, but it's actually a really hilarious. It's hilarious. Smart, smart script. Um, and all, all of these characters, and Max is sort of the straight man trying to make sense out of this crazy world, where, whereas he's the the child, he's actually sort of more of the adult. Totally, in some yeah. Ways. Everyone, um, everyone has a French accent except Max and Suzette, mm-hmm. and they're pretty out there. We have a crazy countess who lives in a castle, um, who's mad about truffles, and she has uh, her ancestor Louis the Fourteenth's uh, old uh, black wig, which has been gathering dust in a box for centuries. Yes, and. Um, it's very, I would say, Lewis Carroll in feel, very hallucinatory. For the adults, there's a lot of very sophisticated wordplay and double entendres. The script is fantastic and yeah. complex and mm-hmm. really hilarious. Uh, and some of those jokes will definitely go over the kid's head, but to keep the adults happy. And then for the kids and the adults, there's, um, it's very farcical, very physical comedy, yeah, very really physical. outrageous characters. And... Um, the sets are pretty out there. It's it's um it's a little bit of a drug trip going into. <laughs> it's very hallucinatory and absurdist, and I'm just in love with the Robotus and drug. Yeah, yes, yes exactly, Robitussin. exactly. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's it's a it's just such a smart script, and the characters are so well drawn. And there's an ensemble. Um, in addition to Max and Sue, that there's an ensemble of other actors who play a gazillion other characters. And are, it's adults acting, right? Yes, it's yeah. all adults. Yes, yes. You know, I think, like, I think, you know, in movies, they've tended to stick away from calling them cartoons and, you know, instead of turning them into calling them family entertainments. And I think, because I think when people hear the term children's theater, they think, you know, a bunch of, you know, eight-year-olds running around on stage who can't act, whose parents paid, like, you know, $800 (laughs) for them to be in the show. Right, right, right. No, it's not My parents actually did pay for me to be in the show, so I'm just kidding. They producing? (laughs) Yes. Yeah, we really didn't want to cast him, but, like, it was an offer we could not refuse. No, I think it's... um, the first time Suzanne, Suzanne Bradbeer, who's the, uh, who's the uh, librettist, uh, she's a playwright I've worked with before. When she first mentioned the play to me, at, at first I thought, oh, my God, Max and the Truffle Pig. This is so hilarious. I'm going to love this. And maybe three pages into the script, I, uh, I was completely hooked. It's so funny and out there and uh, really, really, really smart. Yeah. Uh, the script is just very, very smart and fun. So I would say that... Um, you know, it's it's definitely not geared directly towards kids, but it's for them and their families as well. And we did a workshop about a year ago, and I was I was pleased that we had some kids in the audience who actually totally got it with all the you know references to the south of France and the truffles <laughs> and the cooking. And it's nice because it doesn't talk down to kids because yeah, that's exactly. what I find frustrating about about watching children's theater nowadays uh, is that a lot of the times I go in and I feel like you know kids are a lot smarter than I feel like a lot of people give them credit for. Um, and that's what I really appreciate. Well, that's because adults forget how smart they were when they were kids. Exactly, yeah. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and I think the same is, is true of the music. Some of it is, you know, pretty straightforward and easily accessible, but some of it is quite complex harmonically mm-hmm. and goes to some interesting places. And I think it's quite diverse as well in terms of style and, you know, uh, different kind of uh, musical approaches to how to handle yeah. I, I was furthering sort of, the story. 
explaining it to some people, and to me it sort of sounds like a little bit of your good man Charlie Brown and then a little bit of Amour that Michelle Legrand. <laughs> it's very French. Um, yes. <laughs> right. And all of a sudden we'd be getting to, in the music rehearsals, be like, wow, this is all of a sudden really, really complicated. <laughs> yes, this is hard to do. <laughs> yeah, so there's a lot of stuff that's going on very in, that's very interesting in terms of dissonance and harmonics and stuff. So I think on a musical level as well, it's certainly accessible, but compelling and interesting for an adult audience to come see. Uh, Kevin, you made a statement earlier. Do you, do you play young people a lot? Yes. <laughs> how, how do you find that as an actor? Do you enjoy it? Does it help with getting cast to be it, able to look young? And It definitely does. It's frustrating because, you know what they always say, the, the, the things that uh, sort of prevent us from getting cast in certain instances are also the things that help us getting cast in others. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, no, in the past year I've played, like, a 13-year-old, a 9-year-old, a 4-year-old, <laughs> um, <laughs> and now another 9-year-old. Well, I just found out, like, the brother in the Hannah Montana show or whatever is, like, 33 or something. Oh, my God. And I'm like, so maybe in 10 years you'll move from 9 to 16. <laughs> exactly. That's what I'm hoping. Yeah. I've actually I'm out of, I go to auditions now a lot of the time, and I'm sitting next to real kids with their parents. And I'm, I'm like, depending on which direction they want to yeah, go. Yeah, the horizons will broaden eventually. <laughs> Well, now might be a good time to take a listen to a demo of one of the songs from the show. Do you want to set up this song that we're playing? Uh, yeah, it's called This Is Our Chance. And... Um, uh, after they've sort of gone through all the truffle pig options, yes. <laughs> they've landed at uh, uh, the terrible situation that the only person left is Suzette, who is very new at this. And Max, up until now, has been confined to the kitchen. It's kind of a, a Cinderella story. He's just scrubbing pots, and he never is let out. Um, and uh, the main truffle hunter has, has quit in a yes. rage. And all the adult truffle pigs have either, you know, died or <laughs> moved on to other employment. And so they're going to be given the opportunity to actually go out into the woods and try to hunt truffles, uh, which are desperately needed because the countess uh, has just moved into the neighborhood. And she's asked uh, Max's dad to create an extraordinary meal uh, replete a with a feast with <laughs> truffles put in everything. So uh, they're about to go out and they realize that now they're being um, released into a state of freedom that's very exciting and scary and um, they are about to leave the kitchen <laughs> and go out yeah. into the wide world. All right, well, let's take a listen. This is our chance. Don't let it go by. I know we can do it. Just you and I. I'll be such a good truffle hunter, you'll learn how to dig. I'll be your helper and you'll be the best truffle pig. You're my Suzette, and I'm still your Max. Together we'll do it, then we can relax. We'll fill every pail up with truffles till they overflow. Well, no one will find them, at least we'll have something to show. Your snout may be large, that's why you can smell. Together we're perfect, we'll find things so well. We know we can do it, on us you'll rely. We'll find millions of truffles, just you and I. If ever I'm free, my plan would be big. People take poodles, I'll take my pig. You'll travel with me by train or boat, we might even fly. We'll play every day, but in the meantime, we gotta get working. We're gonna find truffles, you and I. Just you and I. All right, so Max and the Truffle Pig opens on the first day of Nymph, the September 15th, runs to the 23rd. Yep. Um, yep. All the various special dates and times can be found easily on the Nymph website, and I'll have a link from that from Broadway Bullet as well. Uh, any parting shots you'd like to get out here? 
Um, just tell people, you know, come check it out. It's it's hilarious. I find myself laughing in every rehearsal. There's some really, really brilliant actors that I'm fortunate uh, to be working with. Yeah, I would say the cast is kind of unbelievable. We cannot believe our luck. There's a few people in it who have been developing these roles for quite a while, since the first workshops, like a year and a half ago. And I would say it's, it's, it's unique. I've never worked on anything quite like this. The cast is extraordinary. They're all really great straight theater veterans, actually, as well as musical theater people, and it's hilarious and really out there, so uh, I would uh, tell people to please take a risk and check it out. Street it's pretty theater. unusual. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's at the 45th Street Theater downstage. All right. Well, Erica Gould and Kevin Michael Murphy, I thank you so much for stopping by. And Erica, I understand you have another opening tonight for I a different do, show. I do, for so. a different show, yes. <laughs> so nothing like keeping busy. So. Yes, it's crazy. It's a crazy life. Crazy world. All right. Well, have a great run and best of luck. Thank you so much. Thanks. Take care. Bye. Top of the trades. Austin Pendleton directs Norbert Leo Butts and Elizabeth Marvel in MCC Theater's world premiere of Michael Weller's 50 Words, which begins performances at Off-Broadway's Lucille Lortel, September 10th. The limited run is slated to officially open September 28th at the Lortel and play through October 25th. Shrek the Musical, based on the story and characters from William Steig's Shrek and the blockbuster DreamWorks animation film of the same name, officially opens at Seattle's Fifth Avenue Theater September 10th. Previews began August 14th. Directed by Jason Moore, the production will play the Washington venue through September 21st. Following its out-of-town tryout, Shrek will arrive at New York's Broadway Theater November 8th with an official opening select scheduled for December 14th. Playbill.com recently reported that Tony Award-winning director and choreographer Rob Ashford will lend a hand in the shaping of the new Broadway-bound musical. The John F. Kennedy Center for the Performing Arts announced the selection of the individuals who will receive the Kennedy Center Honors of 2008. Recipients to be honored at the 31st Annual National Celebration of the Arts are actor Morgan Freeman, singer George Jones, actress and singer Barbara Streisand, choreographer Twyla Tharp, and musicians Pete Townsend and Roger Daltrey of The Who. Find out more at our show notes on broadwaybullet.com. 9 to 5, the musical, boasting a score by the Grammy Award-winning star of the concert stage and screen, Dolly Parton, makes its debut September 9th at the Center Theatre Group, Amundsen Theatre. Two-time Tony Award winner Joe Montello of Wicked Take Me Out and Assassins directs. The eagerly awaited show was first expected to bow at the Amundsen in L.A. September 3rd, but was delayed to September 6th due to technical problems. A second delay pushed the preview date to September 9th. Curtain Call. Well, that wraps up Volume 3 of our exclusive Nymph coverage for 2008. Uh, covered a lot of shows. we got one more episode next Thursday. And uh, remember, the festival opens September 15th and runs through October 5th. There's a lot of shows to catch, a great deal. Uh, you can see a lot of shows for a very inexpensive price. So be sure you check out more at nymf.org. Once again, I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, and thanks for hopping on board the Broadway Bullet. So, a little more about our brand new theater and business arts major.
I know what most theater programs are like, and I've talked to thousands of artists. All of this told me that a new style of theater major was needed. Theater majors can get a pretty good arts education just about anywhere, but most programs do very little to prepare actors, directors, playwrights, technicians, producers, etc., to manage their careers. When you go into the arts, you are your own business, and you need to manage that to strategically plan for your career to grow. If you've listened to many of these interviews, you know you need to be self-starters to create your own opportunities. I'm going to make sure you are ready for that world. You'll get a ton of opportunities as an undergraduate. Actors will act, even as freshmen. Designers will design shows right away. Playwrights will see their shows mounted. Directors will direct. Producers will handle shows from inception to execution. Outstanding guest artists will conduct workshops, and outstanding students will even work on this podcast and travel to New York with me for interview weeks. And if that isn't enough, we've got an amazing program that will pay all or part of your student loan payments, even private loans, if you are earning less than $40,000 six months after graduation. That is an invaluable option that lets you pursue your passion in theater with less financial pressure. If interested, and I hope you are, Go to broadwaybullet.com. I'd love to help you launch your career.